In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Let us come before God and lament. We lament before you, O God, the losses this community has suffered. Truncated, postponed, and canceled baptisms, confirmations, weddings, and funerals, hearings for education, coffee hours, the mutual consolation of the faithful enacted each Sunday. And we mourn our members, friends, and family who have died of COVID-19. Restore us, gracious God. We lament before you, O God, the tragedies our world has experienced. We lament the countless sickened, the millions dead, thousands unemployed, medical systems depleted, economic security threatened, public assistance inadequate, political discord escalated, despondency rampant, racial injustice intensified, and community engagements canceled. Heal us, compassionate God. Today, O God, we rejoice in your faithfulness. We praise you for sustaining us in word and sacrament and ask that you would continue to enliven and enrich our communal witness in the days ahead. Empower our church, faithful God.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Sovereign God, you have created us to live in loving community with one another. Form us for life that is faithful and steadfast, and teach us to trust like little children that we may reflect. Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.
first reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 24. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will help him, I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of man, this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. Please read responsively with me Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You whose glory is chanted above the heavens, and out of the mouths of infants and children, you have set up a fortress against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in their courses, what are mere mortals that you should be mindful of them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you have made them little less than divine. With glory and honor, you crown them. You have made them rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all flocks and cattle, even the wild beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The second reading is from Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by its powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now God did not subject the coming, excuse me, God did not subject the coming world about which we are speaking to angels 
but someone has testified somewhere. What are human beings that you are mindful of them, or mortals that you care for them? You have made them for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house, Jesus' disciples asked him again about this matter. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. Then Jesus took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Some of you may remember that the Lutheran Book of Worship, the old green hymnal, 
had a major plot twist right at the beginning of the wedding rite. The wedding party would walk down the aisle. The couple would see each other for the first time. People would be taking home videos on those big VHS camcorders. It was the 90s after all. And the pastor would announce, quote, because of sin, our age-old rebellion, the gladness of marriage can be overcast and the gift of family can become a burden. Now, I've only officiated maybe half a dozen weddings or so, so I don't have some huge sample size here, but no couple that I've ever worked with has requested that line be read at their wedding. And it's easy to understand why. It's too cynical, too ominous, just kind of depressing. But I have found myself saying some version of that to people at the end of their marriages. The gladness of marriage can be overcast, and the gift of family can become a burden. And it isn't ominous or cynical or depressing. In fact, for most people, it's actually sort of comforting. And today's gospel might give us some idea of why that is. In today's gospel reading, the Pharisees ask Jesus a simple question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And before we say anything else here, we have to know that we're not talking about the institution that we know today with alimony and lawyers and no-fault divorces. In the context of the New Testament, divorce means a man handing a woman a piece of paper that dissolves their marriage such that the woman is essentially kicked out of the house and left on her own. It cuts off any kind of responsibility between the two people. The certificate that she would be given is an apostasion, which is the Greek for abandoned or relinquished, as you may have guessed, the sort of word you use to refer to your property. So that's what the Pharisees are talking about when they talk about divorce. So is that allowed? And Jesus volleys it back with, well, what did Moses command you? And this is a classic Jesus move we all know and love, where you just ask people to answer their own question. And the Pharisees reply, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. And if you check in Deuteronomy, this is technically true. Where it gets interesting is in Jesus's response, his explanation of why this law exists. Jesus says this law exists because of the hardness of people's hearts. The law exists because people are flawed, people are shaped by broken systems, people have hardened hearts, and there may be times when undesirable things are technically allowable because they're better than a worse alternative. And to maintain some sort of order, some semblance of justice, you need laws and rules that allow people to live in peace with one another. In Lutheran theology, we call this the first use of the law, which means you don't want the free hand of the market sorting out what side of the road people drive on. You want a rule. You want a law that constrains behavior to promote life. But notice a subtle little flip in the language here, because the Pharisees haven't actually answered Jesus's question. The Pharisees ask what Moses allowed and Jesus wants to know what was commanded. Jesus is focused on the kind of life that God intends for creation to have, 
And the Pharisees are focused on how far they can push the law to their own ends. They're to use Jesus' phrase, hard-hearted. And they're hard-hearted not simply because they're flawed like the rest of us, but because they take the law that's meant to give life and they bend it around to serve their own means. How much can I get away with here? How far can I push this? How many wives can I get through before God notices? God commands them to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly, and they ask if they can pick one and get partial credit. So the issue in question here has way less to do with divorce than the universal impulse to shape our lives in accordance with what's technically allowed rather than what is divinely intended. And that isn't true just of marriage, but about any relationship, any institution, any possession that leads us to think, how far can I bend this to my own interests and still be within the letter of the law? And this is why that line from the old LBW is so interesting. Because you could take that line about marriage being overcast by our own hard-heartedness, and you could swap out a whole bunch of things for that. Because of sin, the gladness of education can be overcast. Because of sin, the gladness of work can be overcast. Because of sin, stewardship can be overcast. Service, public safety, community can be overcast. Essentially, any institution, any relationship, any identity has the potential of becoming overcast by our desire to use it for our own ends instead of for the well-being of our neighbors. And that critique of using the gifts of God and the gifts of others for our own ends is precisely what is behind Jesus' understanding of marriage. The Pharisees have a story about marriage. It's a story that comes from Deuteronomy. Is it technically allowable for a man to divorce his wife if she does something that he doesn't like or he finds annoying or he wants to be with someone else for a change? What's the story that Jesus uses to understand marriage? Well, it's the second creation story from Genesis. So they're no longer two but one flesh. Jesus understands marriage not in terms of contracts and scorekeeping, but in terms of reciprocity and mutual recognition. Instead of asking what's the bare minimum you have to do to be legally married, which is not much, Jesus asks us what marriages, what partnerships, and what relationships might look like at their best. They are relationships that are formed not by meeting some minimum standard, but relationships that are reflective of God's love for us. And as the old LBW puts it, those relationships are formed in a broken world, and oftentimes, by the time that we're talking about the possibility of divorce, we are way past the type of relationship that Jesus is talking about. If Jesus thinks divorce is impossible, well, we know there are times when marriage is impossible too. But even so, it would be a mistake to throw out Jesus' rejoinder entirely. Because Jesus' rejoinder has quite a lot to say to us who have gotten so used to asking so little of each other. Who so often ask not what is commanded by God, but what is technically allowable. And we could take Jesus' use of that Genesis story 
the story of how life was before God's intentions got overcast by our greed, and ask how it might inform all of our identities, all of our relationships, all of our institutions. Not simply marriage, but friendships, service, education, public safety, civic life, and all the rest. How might they change if we believed that we could never cut off ourselves from one another or relinquish our responsibility from other people? It's difficult not to look at the debates that shape our public life and wonder if we'd be better off by asking not what is allowable, but what is possible. Because Jesus tells us that we were created and are called to more than just the bare existence of life. That as one of our hymns puts it, we by love, for love were made. The joy of life may be overcast, our hearts may be hardened, but the love of God always cuts through. And so we go on living, we go on serving, we go on loving together as the body of Christ. And what God has brought together, let no one rent asunder. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Invite the assembly to stand as we join the church around the world, confessing our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 
I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May children and heirs of God's promise, let us pray for the church, the world, and all in need. Holy One, you have raised up faithful leaders throughout history. Empower those discerning a call to ministry and all seminarians that they continue to be formed for the sake of the gospel. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. You have established a diverse and beautiful creation. Revive declining species and preserve endangered lands. Cultivate in us a sense of wonder for the world you have created. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Your desire for us not to be alone and to live with community with one another. Strengthen relationships between nations and peoples that we might celebrate and support one human family. We pray especially this week for the people of Colombia, Ecuador, and Venezuela. Lord, in your mercy, you share in our experiences and struggles. Bless all who long for healing. Inspire creative communities, spaces, and environments that are accessible and hospitable. If you have any petitions, I invite you to offer those at this time. Lord, in your mercy, to be more patient, give us strength. To accept our faults, give us humility. To be in solidarity with those who suffer, make us sympathetic. And that our actions may be guided by love, give us your spirit. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. With thanksgiving, we remember those who have died. Keep us in communion with all the saints until we at last find our rest in you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We offer these prayers in the name of the one whose name is majestic in all of the earth, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you always and also with you.
Let us pray. God of all goodness and grace, receive the gifts we offer and grant that our whole life may be given to your glory and praise. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God, through our Savior Jesus Christ who on this day overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection opened to us the way of everlasting life. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, Lord God of paradise, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy God, mighty Lord, Endless is your mercy and eternal your reign. You have filled all of creation with light and life. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. 
We praise you for the grace shown to your people in every age, the promise to Israel, the rescue from Egypt, the gift of the promised land, the words of the prophets. And at this end of all the ages, the gift of your Son, who proclaimed the good news in word and deed, and was obedient to your will, even to giving his life. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Therefore, O God, with this bread and cup, we remember the life our Lord offered for us. In believing the witness of his resurrection, we await his coming in power to share with us the great and promised feast. Send, we pray, your Holy Spirit, that we who share Christ's body and blood may live to the praise of your glory and receive our inheritance with all your saints in light. Join our prayers here with those of your servants of every time and place, and unite them with the ceaseless petitions of our great high priest until he comes as Lord of all. For through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. The body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you.
Let us pray. God of abundance, you have fed us with the bread of life and cup of salvation. You have united us with Christ and one another, and you have made us one with all your people in heaven and on earth. Now send us forth in the power of your spirit that we may proclaim your redeeming love to the world and continue forever in the risen life of Christ our Savior. Amen. open things up for any announcements, joys, and concerns that anyone has anything they wanted to share with the congregation. I have some reminders for you. Uh, next weekend is a big weekend. So on Saturday, Eleanor Stroh is going to be baptized at noon. We were sort of on bringing stuff back online when we scheduled that. That's noon outside. If it's raining, we'll do it on Sunday as part of church here. Uh, so I invite you to come to that. Baptisms are public. Please come hang out. Uh, Sunday, we have worship. We have Mass at 9.30, Confirmation at like 10.20, 10.25, if the homily is too long. Uh, and then we'll do Blessing of the Animals around 11.15 or so. So if you need to run back and grab Wally or whatever, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, and then this week, we have a midweek discussion. We're doing church history stuff. We're going to be reading Yusto Gonzalez's book, about church history Wednesdays at 6.30. There's never any advanced prep necessary for that. Uh, so I invite you to do that, 6.30 to 7.30 on Wednesdays. Uh, and then a final thing, just with being back in the building, the building does not look the way it did 
today the way it did on Monday. It looked pretty rough on Monday, and Dave Swenson came in and put in a just Herculean day getting everything back in shape. Um, so please thank Dave the next time you see him for all his hard work with that. I invite you to receive the blessing. Christ, who has nourished us with himself, the living bread, and make you one in praise and love, and raise you up at the last day. And the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace and welcome the stranger. Thanks be to God.